Warning, Kinda Murdery contains adult themes, explicit language, and descriptions of violence. It is not suitable for anyone, and we recommend you stop listening now. True crime with a dash of the paranormal, the garish, the strange, and the darkly comic. I'm Zevin Odelberg, and you've found your way to Kinda Murdery, a place that means more than just murder. It's my very own pocket dimension, home to a curated collection of bizarre and compelling stories, the unsolved, the unsettling, and the unbelievable. I cover it all, just so long as it's Kinda Murdery. Hey everybody, welcome to Kinda Murdery. I'm your host, Zevin Odelberg. Thank you for deciding to be here. Some of you may remember from Season 2, Kinda Murdery the Emerald Triangle, that I grew up in Humboldt County. And I didn't just grow up in Humboldt County. Humboldt County, by the way, is far northern California, famous for redwood trees and marijuana cultivation. It is a beautiful, wild place, not densely populated to say the least. The largest town, the county seat of Eureka, is about 35,000. The town where I went to high school, Arcata, is about 6,000. The place that I grew up, a little hamlet called Maple Creek, isn't even really a hamlet. It's just the middle of the woods. I grew up an hour from the nearest town, off of 16 miles of gravel road behind two locked gates off the power grid, all wood heating, wood cooking, solar and water power. I used to chop a box of wood before dinner every night. We were like a modern-day Swiss family Robinson. And so you can imagine that in such a wild, sparsely populated place, I don't tend to run into a lot of homies when I go other places. Maybe I'll meet somebody who's from Humboldt County or more likely went to Humboldt State University, but it's super rare for me to meet somebody from Maple Creek who I don't already know. Where am I going with all this? Well, we're starting a new story today, and believe it or not, it takes place in Humboldt, and it has an actual, honest-to-God, Maple Creek tie-in. So for my family and my friends who I grew up with way out there in the boonies, yeah, not just Humboldt, not just Eureka, but actual Maple Creek plays a role in this story. And what's the story? I'm going to keep it simple. The story you're about to hear boils down to a single question. Who killed the beautiful 18-year-old huntress, Carmen Wagner? That's right. Who killed the beautiful 18-year-old huntress, Carmen Wagner? Now, if any of you got a little burned out on the seven-part Bonnie and Clyde, I hope you enjoyed it. I love doing it. But in case you got burned out on seven parts, don't worry, folks. This one's just going to be a two-parter. You'll hear the first part today, Thursday, September 15th, and we'll wrap it up this Sunday, September 18th. All right, buckle up. Get ready for part one of Who Killed Carmen Wagner. You know the drill. Plug in your peeves. Turn up those 5150s to 11. And like beloved Eddie Munson, it's time to Heavy Metal Kind of Murdery starts right now. One of the strangest cases in California jurisprudence, if not in the criminal annals of the entire country, occurred during the tenure of District Attorney Arthur W. Hill at Eureka, Humboldt County, California. On the late afternoon of Wednesday, October 7, 1925, a young man and his girl companion suddenly vanished from their homes at Eureka, California. 
They had gone on a hunting trip together, apparently without the barest premonition of the horrible fate which awaited them in the densely wooded mountains. After several days of increasing suspense, the young couple had not returned to their homes, and the alarm was spread and a large posse of men was organized to search for the man and the girl. Two members of the posse, poking around in the mountainous region surrounding a flat plateau known as Coyote Flat in Northern California, suddenly stumbled over a grave which had been scooped hastily out of the earth behind a large rock. The searchers stood in horror, stricken at the sight which met their eyes. They had, by the merest chance, found the body of Carmen Wagner, an 18-year-old red-haired girl, the owner of a popular beauty shop at Ferndale, who had vanished from her home in the company of Henry Sweet, a young man to whom she had been reported to be engaged. A terrified glance told the posse man that the young girl had been cruelly shot to death and a hasty attempt made to cover her body with earth, rocks, and leaves before the bloody corpse had been placed in a shallow grave. Raising his revolver, one of the posse men fired three shots, the signal to notify the other searchers that their worst fears had been realized and that Carmen Wagner had been found dead. Then, during the silent hours of the night, the posse men stood guard over the body while other searchers made their way to the flat with the coroner to bring the corpse back to Eureka over the steep and dangerous mountain trails. District Attorney Arthur W. Hill was notified by wireless that the girl's body had been found. This was probably one of the first instances where radio had been used in the aid of forces of the law. So rough was the country that one of the posse men had taken his radio into the mountains and kept Hill in touch with every detail of the long search, which had ended with the finding of the corpse. The district attorney set about at once to marshal the facts of the case for presentation to a jury should the sheriff's office succeed in arresting the suspects. What a tragedy this killing was. Carmen Wagner, as a schoolgirl, was a beautiful young child with long braids of tawny red hair. With her parents and a brother, Logan, the girl lived in the mountains on the Wagner Ranch some few miles from Eureka. The young girl was taught to handle a rifle, and she became an expert shot. Then, the Wagner family, when Carmen was about 13 years old, moved from their ranch to Eureka. It was with deep regret that the young girl left the ranch home in the mountains, but as time passed, she returned again and again to the locality to hunt and to climb the steep trails which crisscrossed through the region. As a vocation, Carmen established a prosperous little beauty parlor at Ferndale, which became the meeting place of the bells of the neighborhood for various embellishments which delight the hearts of young women. Carmen became very popular among the younger set. For pleasure, to relieve the hours of work she spent at her beauty shop business, Carmen Wagner went on frequent hunting trips on which she was accompanied by Henry Sweet, a young man who had lived for years in Eureka. Because of her unusual beauty, with bobbed auburn locks and a clear, healthy complexion, Carmen was besieged with masculine attentions. And I'll post a picture of Carmen on Instagram in case anyone is curious. But of all the wooers, she had chosen Henry Sweet. She'd been sweet, unsweet, if you will. Sorry, can't help myself. I am compelled to tell every dad joke that presents itself to my obsessive mind. Carmen and Henry liked the same things, especially hunting and long walks through the woods, and often they enjoyed together the pleasures of camping in the mountains, both bringing down game with sure shots from their rifles. On these frequent hunting trips in the vicinity of the girl's old home, Carmen and Henry were always accompanied by the young woman's large yellow-brown colored collie dog. The dog adored his mistress and answered her calls quickly, which led her to give him the Spanish name of Pronto. In the girl's last hour of peril, Pronto gave his own humble life in a desperate attempt to save his beloved owner. 
Not suspecting the danger which lurked nearby, Henry and Carmen made a rendezvous for their last hunting trip together, a rendezvous which ended in the mysterious deaths of both of them. On Wednesday afternoon, October 7, 1925, Henry asked Carmen if she would enjoy going on a hunting trip with him to Coyote Flat. Well, I'll have my car and I'll get some provisions and shells and we can do a lot of shooting, said Henry. His faith wreathed in smiles as he told the girl of his newly made plans. Oh, I'd love to, exclaimed Carmen enthusiastically. I'll meet you and we can have the whole day tomorrow to ourselves in the hills. A trysting place was named and Carmen returned to her home to don her hunting apparel and to obtain her small bore rifle. She bade her mother a joyous goodbye and hurried quickly to meet Henry. It was the last time that Mrs. Wagner ever saw her daughter alive. As she left home waving at her mother, Carmen glanced hastily at a small gold wristwatch because she did not want to be late and keep Henry waiting. The watch was an old-fashioned timepiece which had been given by Mrs. Wagner to her daughter, who had made of it a wristwatch by attaching a leather casing to hold it. This watch later was destined to become one of the most important links of circumstantial evidence in the murders of Coyote Flat. Carmen, thanks to her small watch, was on time for her appointment with Henry Sweet. The rays of the setting sun were slanting across the city of Eureka as the girl and the young man started out on their last hunting trip together. Although, of course, they didn't know it was their last hunting trip then. Around the swiftly moving automobile driven by the young man scampered the dog, Pronto. After watching the girl and the man disappear in the distance, a sinister figure left Eureka and struck out on a trail through the woods. The mysterious figure knew intimately every bypath and shortcut through the mountains and could overtake any game, animal or human, that he stalked. The young couple did not return the next day as they had promised. The girl's mother became uneasy about her daughter's absence, but consoled her mind with the comforting thought that she was in the company of a reliable and trustworthy young man who could take care of her. Hours passed without any sign of her daughter, however, and Mrs. Wagner's worry increased until it became full-blown fear. The family instinct is to return to the fireside at the close of the day, and any unaccounted absence strikes fear to the heart. Even an hour's absence of a beloved one makes his or her relatives apprehensive because of the fear that some harm may have come to the missing person. After hours had elapsed and Carmen had still not returned, Mrs. Wagner told her son Logan that she believed her daughter was in danger and that the authorities should be informed so that a search might be started for Henry and Carmen. Logan tried to calm his mother's fears with the explanation that Carmen had always returned safely from other hunting trips, and doubtless she and Henry would arrive home soon. They learned that Sheriff A.A. Ross was in the eastern part of the country on a business trip, but that Deputy Sheriff H.E. Reed was the official to whom they could tell their fears and appeal for aid in locating the missing couple. District Attorney Arthur W. Hill was also informed of the case. Reed paid close attention to the story of the couple, who now had been missing in the mountains for three days. Several theories were advanced to account for their strange absence. Had the young couple become lost? Had they been injured in a fall? Were they starving in the dense woods which clothed the mountains? Had something sinister happened to the girl and the man, something which prevented them from firing three signal shots, which would have brought huntsmen to their aid at once? Reed decided immediately to organize a large posse to search through the mountains. He knew that time must not be lost if the girl and the man were to be found and brought home safely. Reed saw something mysterious in the fact that neither young person had been able to return to Eureka and neither had they sent the dog Pronto to his home with a message tied to his collar, which would have summoned aid immediately. The theory that they had fallen and suffered severe injuries or possibly had been killed was the strongest belief. 
It was hardly possible that Sweet and the girl had become lost because both knew the mountain trails almost like open books. Deputy Sheriff Reed notified the citizens of Eureka that a large posse was to be formed to conduct the search, and volunteers responded immediately. Nearly every able-bodied man answered the summons, as everyone knew Carmen and Henry, and they were all anxious to do everything possible to find the young people. The district attorney studied the case and decided to gather all information possible should it be discovered that a crime had been committed. But of course, at this time, neither the DA nor the officers had any intimation of the tragedy which was to come. Meanwhile, the sinister figure, who they were destined to discover later had followed Sweet and the girl across the mountains, had returned silently and unobserved to Eureka, where he walked the streets in broad daylight and even joined the posse for a short time during the search for the girl and the man. Deputy Sheriff Reed took charge of one group of possemen while Captain Clyde Randall of the California State Traffic Police directed the other group of searchers and outlined the territory for his men to cover. Captain Randall advanced a startling and disquieting theory as to the disappearance of the girl. Well, I believe that Carmen Wagner has been abducted and hidden in a cabin of an insane mountaineer, declared Captain Randall. We must bend every effort to find her, and I hope that we will do so before we are too late. Wow. Jump straight to cabin of insane mountaineer, huh? Were there a lot of known insane mountaineers in the area? Based on my own personal experience growing up there, Magic 8-Ball says... Signs point to yes. The territory into which the young couple had vanished was composed of steep trails, deep valleys, high mountains, and in some places was almost inaccessible. Because of the rough terrain, a unique method of communication was established between the posse and the district attorney's office. For possibly the first time, as I mentioned before, a radio was used to keep the district attorney's office in constant touch with the posse, and the DA received every bit of information as the search progressed. The posse man relaying radio messages to the DA was Kenny Kilburn, a photographer and amateur radio operator who made a hobby of wireless radio. Kilburn carried his small radio sending apparatus into the mountains and sent important news of the search directly to the DA's office in Eureka. Today, of course, Radios are almost universally present in police vehicles and even on police uniforms, but it's believed that Kenny Kilburn was one of the pioneers of using the radio to aid the forces of the law. Meanwhile, the posse continued to search every part of the mountains. In the posse were several young men, including Kenneth Buck, two half-brothers, Walter David and Jack Ryan, and Kenneth Walford, who had known Carmen for some time. Sidney S. Pixton was a searcher, and he and Buck kept close together as they searched about the plateau known as Coyote Flat. Walter David and Jack Ryan were half-Native Americans who had lived in the district for years, Ryan at one time having attended the same school with the missing Wagner girl. The brothers made their living by working odd jobs on the ranches, breaking stubborn horses, and Ryan frequently acted as a guide for tourists who went on sightseeing and hunting trips in the mountains. Jack Ryan was known as the best horseman in the county, and he also was a crack shot with either a rifle or a pistol. Logan Wagner, the young brother of the missing girl, also was a member of the posse. He was an expert woodsman, and his knowledge of the country and ability to find his way through the dense growth and steep trails added impetus to the search. No traces of the missing couple were found, and fear began to clutch at the hearts of the searchers. They began to feel that something terrible had happened to Carmen and Henry, and the question was asked, will we 
find them dead. Kenneth Walford, who'd known Carmen for nearly four years, was one of the most tireless of the large army of searchers. Walford was only a youth, being just 20 years old, but he devoted long days to an effort to find the missing girl. He had joined the posse immediately when she was reported missing, and in his old battered automobile he had started out for Coyote Flat. But the machine was aged, and it would not climb the steep roads, so Walford abandoned it and struck out on foot to aid in the search. Meanwhile, searchers continued to scour the mountainsides, the valley beds of small streams, and the trails, several of which led up to Coyote Flat. After the search had been underway for some time, several of the men one day decided to travel over one of the paths. They started out slowly, poking over every foot of the way as they walked up toward Coyote Flat. The path made a crooked turn, and there lay the body of Henry Sweet. Blood had gushed from his side and mouth, and the body was sprawled as though Sweet had fought in his death agony. Had he been murdered? The body was examined hastily, and it appeared to the posseman that Sweet had died from a violent hemorrhage caused by packing a heavy deer. What? If his death was accidental from his exertion, then perhaps Carmen was still safe. But there's been no mention of there being the carcass of a heavy deer in the pathway next to him. If he had died from an exertion hemorrhage due to a heavy deer, which sounds extremely unlikely for someone who's probably 20 years old, then wouldn't the carcass of said deer be lying right next to him? I mean, that sounds like an absolutely absurd conclusion to leap to. But I suppose when you're desperate to believe that someone you love is safe, you can leap to almost any conclusion. And the posseman hoped ardently that Carmen was still safe. This optimistic outlook raised the hopes of the posseman that the missing girl could be found alive. But these fond hopes were to be dashed to pieces. An autopsy was performed on Sweet's body, and the DA was informed that he had been shot to death, the bullets from the gun striking him in either side and the back. The mysterious killer, or killers, had taken the life of their first victim. Kenneth Walford learned of the discovery of Sweet's body with mingled feelings of fear and impotent anger because of his helplessness in trying to find Carmen Wagner. He spurned the offer of giving his aid to the posse, determined to search alone, feeling that he could cover more territory faster than if he searched at the direction of an officer. The Tuesday following the discovery of Sweet's body, Walford left for Coyote Flat at night. He later would tell the DA how he had set out alone to find the missing girl. Okay, can I just say that sounds super suspicious? Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm just gonna go searching, which means wandering because it's night. I'm just gonna go searching at night by myself through nearly impassable mountains and forests in search of the possibly murdered girl in the pitch black alone. Okay, so that sounds either simple or really guilty, because if you've got no idea where the girl is, what possible hope do you have of finding her alone at night by yourself in the dark? On the other hand, if you know exactly where the body is, alone by yourself under the cover of night sounds like a pretty logical time to go try to dispose of it, doesn't it? Well, anyway... I shouldn't be convicting Walford in a kangaroo court here, so instead, we'll hear his testimony to the DA at the preliminary hearing of one of the suspects in the mysterious murder, right after the break. (music) 
Hey everybody, welcome back. Thank you for taking the time to support the brands who support Kinda Murdery. First off, I would like to remind everyone that I want Kinda Murdery to be a community where we can all share our unique stories and create for others a window through which they can take a compassionate look at circumstances that they may never have imagined. As you know, I have cerebral palsy, and it's also important to me that Kinda Murdery be a community, yes, for everyone, but I would like to send special love and recognition out to any listeners who may have a disability, physical or otherwise. If you'd like to make a connection with someone, please reach out to me, kindamurdery at gmail.com or at kindamurdery on all social media. Now, even TikTok, where I've been posting some goofy videos, so go follow me there. But if you want to make a connection with someone, please do reach out to me. If you'd like to share your story with just me, you can share it with just me. If you'd like me to share it with the listeners, I will. And that goes for everyone, by the way, with whatever you're going through. Not just those listeners who may have a disability, but I'll be honest with you that because I have a disability myself, the desire to provide an opportunity for disabled people to share their stories because I think often what they go through on a daily basis is pretty much of an unknown to most able-bodied people. The desire to provide a platform for them is a little bit closer to my heart, but honestly, whatever you're going through, I'm here for everyone. And in connection to that, I will remind you, as I always do, of the three-digit free number 988 that you can call to speak to someone immediately, someone who cares. If you're in acute crisis and you need mental health, substance use, or suicide-related counseling, please dial 988, program it into your phone to speak to someone who cares immediately. And please remember that you are wanted and you are loved, and the earth is a better place with you on it. If you're not in acute crisis, you can also reach out to me, again, kindamurdery at gmail.com, or at kindamurdery on all social media. I would love to connect with you. I'm here. I care. And please, don't hesitate to reach out to me. All right. Last thing, I'd like to give a shout out to listener, I don't know how to say this, it's spelled E-R-Y-U-Y-R-U-E, who left a review on Apple Podcasts, that just says, wow, it's amazing with one of those emojis with starry eyes. And I know I always tell you guys, look, the importance of reviews is not just to make me feel good. It also triggers algorithms to help make the show more visible on podcast platforms and on the internet. However, I also got to be honest with you, they do make me feel good. And the truth is putting out two episodes a week can be a grind. It's a lot of work. And so it cheers me up considerably when I get a new great review. So thank you again, Eryui, or E-R-Y-U-Y. You put a smile on my face today. And everybody else, whether you want to help the show succeed in a real tangible way, or if you just wouldn't mind bringing a grin to my silly mug, then please do leave reviews. They make a huge difference in all kinds of ways. And with that, saddle up your pathological palomino, because Kinda Murdery resumes now. Remember, I said when we returned, you'd be listening to the preliminary hearing testimony. And this is the preliminary hearing for one of the suspects in the mysterious murder. We don't know who that is yet, but we are going to jump to the testimony of Kenneth Walford. He who left in the middle of the night to go search the woods by himself in the dark, not for nefarious reasons, sure. But it's not for us to judge yet here is Kenneth Walford. 
He says, I left Eureka at 7.45 p.m., and I arrived at the old Wagner place near Showers Rock sometime between 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the morning. Wow, so we're talking a five to six hour drive combination hike here? On my way there, says Walford, I met two officers, Deputy Sheriff Reed and Captain Randall, who were going in the opposite direction. I continued to the place where I wanted to search, traveling in all about four miles. No one was near the Wagner place. It was deserted and ghostly in the dark. I built a fire near the old house to get warm. Then, I became thirsty and I decided to go up to the spring in front of the house to get a drink of water. I had a flashlight and I used the light to find the spring, and just as I was leaving the spring, I made a discovery that took my breath away. I saw dog tracks and the footprints of Carmen Wagner. I knew at once that the missing girl had been at the spring because I recognized the footprints as belonging to the girl and the dog tracks were made by her collie dog, Pronto. The prints were made by a lady's shoe and I was pretty certain that they were made by Carmen. I followed the tracks in the direction they were going. They looked fresh because they were in the mud around the spring and it looked like they were just a few hours old. I followed the tracks up the north side of the house for about a hundred yards and then they vanished. Finding Carmen's tracks, the boy was frantic and Don found the young man trying desperately to trace her footprints from the spot where they suddenly disappeared. The youth had believed that the footprints would lead him directly to the missing girl and enable him to render her his aid if she should be in danger. Walford was unable to repress his intense excitement when he could not discover where the girl's footprints led to, so he hastily joined the posse and breathlessly explained what he had found. The discovery sent new thrills of hope into the tired posseman who felt like there was still a slim chance of finding the missing girl alive. Walford again turned to his lone search, being greatly perplexed at the mystery of the girl's vanishing footprints. Then, he encountered Jack Ryan near Coyote Flat. While he was resting by a gate near a cabin, Walford noticed a man coming up the hill toward him. Walford had tied his horse to a tree and then sat down to await the man coming up the trail. The man was Jack Ryan. Walford did not know Ryan, whom he supposed to be a member of the posse, although he had never heard of him. In telling the DA of the incident, Walford said that he observed that Ryan stopped for five minutes to fix something on his horse's saddle. This action completed, Ryan also tied up his animal and came and sat down on the rock beside Walford. The two men introduced themselves and then smoked together while they recounted the latest developments in the hunt. Ryan explained to Walford that he too was aiding in the search, although none of the officers had asked him to, but that nevertheless he was giving a few hours of his time to help locate the girl with whom he had attended school when they were both youngsters. Walford brought up the question as to whether the nearby Baker Canyon region had been searched thoroughly. I pointed out across the canyon uh, beyond the old orchard and I asked Ryan if there are any shacks or cabins in that canyon. Walford told the DA. One of the fearful theories, it will be remembered, that was almost immediately advanced by the head of the traffic patrol was that Carmen Wagner was held in the cabin of an insane mountaineer. No, there are no cabins in that canyon, Ryan replied to Walford's question. Well, yes, actually, Ryan hesitated. Yeah, yes, I guess there is an old shack in there, but, but that country's been all searched out. The canyon was known as Baker Creek Canyon, and a sinister discovery later was to be made in that region. When I asked Ryan which way he was going, continued Walford, Ryan replied that he was going to the Sibley place, and I said, well, we might as well ride along together because I was going in the same direction. And then I, I asked Ryan if he knew Carmen Wagner. Several moments of silence followed before Ryan spoke. Oh, yes, he said in a sad voice. I knew her very well because we used to be in school together when we were kids. All right, we're going to stop our story right there. 
Tune in this Sunday, September 18th, for Part 2, the thrilling conclusion of Who Killed Carmen Wagner. And remember, friendships are built when we spend quality time together doing something that we care about. Well, I'd like to thank you for spending quality time with me. I can't wait to see you on Sunday the 18th for Part 2 of Who Killed Carmen Wagner. I'm Zevin Odelberg, and this has been Kinda Murdery. If you've enjoyed today's Kinda Murdery, please tell your friends and family, tell strangers, leave a review. It's the best way to ensure that I can keep telling that special brand of bizarre and terrible tales that you'll only find here on Kinda Murdery. Kinda Murdery.